0: Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of five issues for just £10. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello, and welcome to The Critics Podcast. I'm Olivia Hartley, publisher of The Critic magazine, and today I'm joined by Chris Elston, also known as Billboard Chris. He travels around canada speaking to people about gender ideology and the effects of puberty blockers on children in the process he's traveled the length and breadth of the country and he's gathered a significant following online with about nearly thirty-five thousand people following him on twitter he joins me today from edmonton in canada chris can you tell me more in your own words what exactly your mission is and how long you've been doing it for
1: i've been doing this for about a year now and what is my mission? What a good question. Well, these drugs and these hormones that we're giving to kids, we need to stop doing that. So I guess that's my mission because I don't even know exactly when I first learned about this. I think it was probably late 2019, but the thought that we are physically stopping the development of children with a synthetic drug that stops them from going into puberty, is just insane. It's totally nuts, and it's so wrong. And this whole thing is based on what itself is a disputed topic, the whole gender identity ideology. This is a belief system, but under no circumstances should we ever be blocking puberty in healthy children. If adults want to do something that they feel is going to alleviate their dysphoria, they should go for it, but... We need to be leaving these 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds alone because they're just kids.
0: It's interesting because your southern neighbour, US, seems to be very taken with social justice activism, wokeism, identity politics. And um, I'd like to know more about what the Canadian public consensus is on these issues. Can you tell me more about your day-to-day activities, who you speak with, and are they sympathetic with your views?
1: Yeah, so definitely you know, at least 90% of people are fully supportive of my message. I, I wear signs. I, um, I had a billboard put up last September that said I heart or I love JK Rowling, following the lead of Posey Parker in the UK, who put one up at the Edinburgh train station. And it got taken down the next day. And I just got tired of all the censorship. So I put up a billboard here. And same thing happened, it got taken down the next day because it was called hate speech by a Vancouver politician. You know, it's got a big heart on it. The vast majority of people agree, most don't understand at first. They'll say to me, I wear a sign that says, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And on my back, I'll have one that might say, gender ideology does not belong in schools, or it might say children are never born in the wrong body. Um, I have a bunch of different signs, but my main message is about puberty blockers. So at first, when I started out, honestly, almost nobody had heard of these things. And that has changed a lot in the last year. And I think in a lot of cases, there's just relief from people, because those who have heard about this a bit or read about it a bit, they know that it's wrong. They know that a lot of other things to do with this whole ideology are wrong but we're not allowed to talk about it. It's a really taboo subject. And I think a lot of times when they see my sign, they feel relief because they feel validated. Their beliefs are suddenly being validated, these things that they've been thinking. And so I get that a lot. And what's really interesting is, particularly with young men, high school boys, They are really relieved (laughs) to see this message because this craze, which it is, as Abigail Schreier has written so beautifully, this is a transgender craze seducing our daughters primarily. And a lot of these boys see this going on and they know that it's messed up, but they're not allowed to talk about it. They're not allowed to talk about it because in school, when they teach this ideology, they combine it always with anti-bullying, talk, sexual orientation. And what activists have done is they have been really successful conflating or combining the ideas of sexual orientation and gender identity into one thing. So no one wants to speak badly of anyone based on their sexual orientation. And we all agree with that because someone's sexual orientation is immutable. You love who you love. And that's wonderful. This issue is totally different and it shouldn't be combined, but that's what we do in the school system. That's what we're doing with these conversion therapy laws. And I'm running off on different tangents, but to answer your first question, people are really supportive. Those who don't understand the issues may not be supportive. And those who have really bought into the ideology are really mad.
0: <laughs> it's um it's really interesting because it seems it seems crazy to, to people like you and I who who spend a lot of time on Twitter and follow these circles. And you know, we cover it a lot in the critic. It's crazy that people you almost forget that people don't know everything there is about this and people people aren't even aware that there is a debate going on. So it's interesting that you've kind of taken. To the streets and are actually talking to people one-to-one whereas you know i might write something on twitter but who's that going to It's who's that going to reach it's just going to reach other people that follow me and already agree with me so um that's that's interesting that it seems to have that effect and you're meeting people but you know some trans rights activists or from the, the transition lobby they might question well Okay, what right or what authority do you have speaking against the use of puberty blockers for children with gender dysphoria? After all, you aren't or you don't appear to be a trans child. What would your response be to something like that?
1: Yeah, they're right. I have no authority. (laughs) And I'm not an expert. I'm not a physician. I'm not an endocrinologist. I mean, I guess I do have some authority because I'm a human being. And I'm a dad and you don't need a degree. You don't need to have studied gender studies for years. You don't need to have read all of Judith Butler's books. You don't need any of this stuff to understand that we are male and female. And I suppose the greatest authority oftentimes on children is parents because, you know, we have, we have been children ourselves And we are raising children and we see everything they go through and parents know their kids. We understand peer pressure. We understand social contagion because we've been through these things. And honestly, all you got to do is just think about this a little bit. And when you read the studies that we do have by the experts, those studies themselves support the view that we shouldn't be blocking puberty in children because... 80 to 90% of these kids, according to the experts, will grow out of their gender dysphoria. It will simply go away when they go through puberty. But we don't give these kids this chance anymore because we're blocking their bodies from experiencing their own hormones. So if a girl goes on puberty blockers, what this drug does, they're called gonadotropin hormone-releasing agonists is the fancy word for it, but it stops the pituitary gland from releasing these hormones, which in turn cause the cause estrogen to be produced in girls and testosterone to be produced in boys. So take a young boy, for example, who has been told this theory that he has a girl brain just because he's more effeminate. Well, he's never going to experience testosterone, which would make him feel better in his skin, but he'll never experience it. So he doesn't even get that chance. And then it goes on estrogen afterwards. Girls go on testosterone afterwards. And, you know, this is mainly an epidemic affecting girls. And of course, testosterone is gonna make them feel better at first. That's what it does. It produces euphoria. It gets rid of some of their unwanted body fat, (laughs) maybe redistributes it. Um, It takes care of some of their anxiety that they're feeling because that's just what testosterone does. But this is all artificial and they're not thinking because they're kids, they're not thinking of the long-term effects. Testosterone does a lot of other things. And some of the things it does are kind of, I don't even want to talk about them because this, this gets kind of, oh, it just gets really harsh. Some of the things that happen Um, and for boys as well when you block their puberty because, you know, genitals stop growing and girls' breasts don't grow and bones don't gain density. You know, humans aren't little Mr. and Mrs. Potato Heads where you can just move body parts around and take things off. And, you know, we shouldn't be messing with kids' bodies, period. Full stop. If adults have gender dysphoria and they feel transitioning is going to make them happier and for some it does, then absolutely go for it. But there's no explanation for this meteoric rise we have seen other than this is just a social craze going on. And of course, girls have a harder time, typically. I mean, puberty can be hard for everyone, but girls tend to have a harder time with puberty because their bodies are changing and, you know, men are jerks and (laughs) not all of them, but they're getting sexualized and They're not meeting beauty standards, and social media is just the worst thing ever for a child in the history of the world. And who knows what the other issues are going on with these girls. There's always something else going on. There's depression, of course, and anxiety, but there's autism. Autism, a huge number of autistic kids are transitioning. ADHD is extremely common. There's all sorts of reasons why a child might want to escape being a girl. And if you give them an option, well, some are going to take you up on that option.
0: Well, so how, how do you think we should treat young children with gender dysphoria? How do you think we should treat a boy that wants to be a girl, a girl that wants to be a boy, in whatever way that means?
1: That's for professional counsellors to figure out. But we're not even allowed to get these kids counselling now because they consider it conversion therapy. The federal government in Canada is trying to pass a bill that would consider conversion therapy just to counsel these children and help them to feel comfortable in their skin. But we have already individual provinces. So Canada's broken up into 10 different provinces and then we've got the few Northern territories, but each province kind of determined their own policies and about half the provinces have their own laws against conversion therapy. So it's really hard already to find a counselor who will just treat these kids with talk therapy. Because studies show, these are academic studies. They all show the same thing. Uh, One that came out this year, it followed 150 boys for 20 years. And 88% of these boys saw their dysphoria go away when they went through puberty. And the majority of them ended up being gay. And I don't think this gets spoken about enough. And I think the gay and lesbian community really, we really need to get them all educated because governments will actually listen to them. They'll never listen to someone like me. I'm just a white, straight male. I've got no say about anything. But in the gay and lesbian community, some of them are aware of what's going on because this ideology is essentially coming for kids that a lot of them would grow up to be gay. And it's sterilizing them. Because combined, puberty blockers, they also affect development of reproductive organs. You combine the puberty blockers with the cross-sex hormones, it's sterilizing these kids. And what really got me going, and sometimes I feel kind of like a crazy person because I'm standing out on a street wearing signs. This is so widespread, especially in British Columbia, where I'm from. Right now I'm in Edmonton for a little road trip. But when I'm standing in the middle of downtown Vancouver and there's people everywhere, I don't. a loudspeaker or anything like that i literally just stand there and it doesn't take long you know one or two minutes before people start talking to me but i know when i see a young group of girls or women walking down the street that i'm probably going to take some verbal abuse or just get some nasty looks because it's in our schools and it's really in our university too And all the women's studies courses have been renamed gender studies because this whole ideology is trying to erase the definition of a woman as well. But it's really captured our country. It's really captured the West coast and it's predominantly captured girls. I don't see this with young boys nearly as much, not even close. It's not even close. Almost every young guy I run into is supportive and I kind of get why it's happening so much with girls, because all the other girls, even if they're not affected by this themselves, they know other girls who are, they all know other young girls who have transitioned and they want to be compassionate as we should be. We absolutely should be compassionate for these children who are struggling and they see my sign, and they don't really process the words on the sign, which our children cannot consent to puberty blockers. They just see, oh, he's against, you know, trans. That's what they see. That's what they think. And so they think I'm just some terrible bigot. But that's fine. That You know what? Hate is going to come, and you can't worry about the hate. You you have to just speak a true message and with compassion. And we just have to educate people because people just don't know what's going on. And in Canada, our media is 100% captured. Our governments are all captured. When I say captured, I mean they're pushing this ideology. They're not just neutral. Even in our courts in British Columbia now, at the start of a court session, you're supposed to declare your pronoun. Our government is going through every single regulation, like provincial regulation for whatever, removing references to mother, father, brother, sister, because these are gendered terms. And I know there's something like $450 million being spent every year by the transgender lobby, LGBT organizations. They should really just be called T organizations. And private donors, there's some billionaires and things like that. So there's so much money coming into institutions, corporations. It, we're just battling such a giant force.
0: It seems like what's going on in Canada is almost a hyperactive version of what's going on in the UK. You know, I would say that there are there are outlets which... which um, a pro the transition lobby, pro Stonewall, um, is our sort of main LGBT charity and lobby group. What's interesting is that you you reference the growing gender-critical movement in the UK on your Twitter and on your website a fair bit. In what way has what's going on in the UK influenced
1: you? Oh, hugely, hugely. The UK is the leader in the world for this and it's the people in the UK. I mean, it was Posey Parker's sign that that got taken down, which started this whole thing for me. I learned a lot from people, honestly, on Twitter, you know, and a lot of them are in the UK. I started wearing this sign before the ruling came down in December 2020. I think I had this sign made in October of 2020, Children Can't Consent to puberty Blockers. And then the high court backed that up in December of 2020. And I know they just had a ruling which was negative the other day, but, but the fight goes on. The, that ruling in the High Court, I guess we should just get into this briefly. So, a woman named Kira Bell in the UK, along with a 15 year old minor, sued the Gender Identity Service and the Tavistock, which is the gender clinic in the UK, because she was transitioned as a teenager, went on puberty blockers, testosterone, got a double mastectomy, then in her early 20s, experienced deep regret. And basically said, what did you all do to me? And so they sued. And the court, the high court ruled that indeed children under the age of 16 cannot give informed consent to these puberty blockers. And they required any new patients to get court approval. So this effectively stopped that practice happening in the UK but an appeals court just the other day stated that it's not for judges to decide whether a child can consent or not to a medical procedure. And I actually agree with that. I mean, judges aren't medical professionals. This should be up to the parents, child and medical professionals. The problem is medical professionals are ideological. Medical professionals, what no matter what they do, I mean, doctors have religious beliefs. This is a religion this is the gender identity religion
0: well i noticed that in the in the uk they for at least the tavistock and the gender identity clinics it's it's an affirmative affirmative model uh, that's their approach because otherwise to, to to not affirm that is almost a form of conversion therapy which is why, you know and with the nhs it's difficult to get to get talking therapies to these children but sarah Phillimore mm-hmm. is a uk based gender critical lawyer she has covered the case of Uh, Kira Bell and these puberty blockers for children extensively for the critic and she argued that rather than being a black and white outcome i.e. a win for the pro-transition lobby and a lose for anyone involved in the gender critical side of things it's actually more nuanced than that she said and I quote this was not a decision about the rights and wrongs of puberty blockers. It was a decision about the limitations of a judicial review. Kira Bell's judicial review has failed, but she has performed a great service not only for the welfare of children, but also the integrity of the medical and scientific community. Do you also see, despite the ruling against the High Court, do you also see a small victory here?
1: Yes, and I think it's a gigantic victory actually, because it set off debate across the world. I know there's a gender clinic in Perth, Australia that has stopped this practice, principally because they're worried about lawsuits. (laughs) We've seen in Sweden and Finland, two progressive countries where they are stopping this practice and will only include children and not 10-year-olds either, but they'll only include children as part of a clinical study in the future, because there's never been a clinical trial or a proper study done. This is so reckless. There's never been a proper study done. We don't even know if this is going to work on these kids. And the, even the appeals court the other day, they said there's, you know, a paucity of evidence, there's a total lack of evidence for the efficacy of this treatment. And we've seen other small studies where it's not doing anything to alleviate a child's gender dysphoria. Gender identity disorder is what this was called until 2013, when the DSM-5 changed it to gender dysphoria. But this is still a mental illness. It is. I was in Ottawa, and I was standing out front of Parliament, and a woman who teaches math in high school came to see me. And she has about a hundred different kids that she sees. And seven of them are transitioning. Six of them are girls. Pretty standard. But that number isn't even shocking to me at all anymore. It is because it's just so wrong, but but I see it all the time.
0: It's shocking to you, but it's it's also shocking to me. I don't feel like I'm that far off that age you now. I'm in my mid twenties, but ten mm. years ago when I was in school, again, this wasn't this wasn't a thing I mean obviously you did have you did have people that did transition but it wasn't as widespread as it is now and do you think do you think social media is to blame from that that spread of influence and you know that children have have access to at their fingertips
1: social media is the worst and I sound like such an old man it's just the worst it's so hard for adults and forget about it for kids I've got two girls they're 9 and 11 so I've succeeded in them not wanting social media. So I'm not, there saying, no, you can't have social media. They don't want it because they've come to understand that really nothing good is going to come from it. And it can cause anxiety and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's important for parents to, you know, have these conversations with their kids when they're young, because once they're 16 and they're already on social media, I mean, that's where kids are living these days. That's where they're doing a lot of their engagement with other teens. And that's kind of their social circles are centered in there. And that's just not good for your psyche. It's not good for your esteem. And there are people on there trying to influence children. And, you know, the human mind is extremely malleable. If you take anyone, I don't care how strong they are, and you put them in an environment like like a cultish environment, you know, this is almost 24-7. They're getting it at school and then they're getting it at home on social media, then they go to bed. But all day long, they're, they're exposed to these influencers. It's going to affect their mind. It's just, it's going to. And they're going to start to fall for this because it's presented in a nice kind of pretty package.
0: Is that how you genuinely describe gender ideology? You describe it as a cult?
1: The ideology itself is just, I mean, it's an invention of men. I mean, gender identity, the the word itself was coined by a man named Robert Stoller. It gained prominence with the work of a doctor named John Money. Anyway, this whole gender identity thing is just an idea. It's a theory. The way this group behaves is cultish, for sure. It absolutely is. In a cult, you get invited in by really nice people you get love-bombed, you get celebrated, you feel like you've found a group of like-minded people. And it's not based on science. It's all based on a belief system. And then when you leave a cult, you get forgotten about and you get maligned and you get disconnected from, you know, we see that in... Jehovah's Witnesses, we see it in Scientology, we see it in transgender ideology. I have spoken to many people from all over the political spectrum, I've spoken to many transgender adults, I've spoken to trans youth, they come up up to me all the time, almost every day in Vancouver, I'll talk to some young trans man, and I'll ask them, you know, what do you say about these young adults who are detransitioning and the answer is that they were never really trans really and they're just it, there's just so much vilification and anger and hate so you're telling me kira bell was not really trans she went on puberty blockers and got double mastectomy and went on testosterone and transitioned her body but that, you know the minute you have regrets you're like a heretic So this does have all the hallmarks of a cult. The only problem with calling it a cult is cults need a leader. So who's the leader of this one? In Canada, anyway, the cult leader is our government. Honestly, it's Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party and the NDP here, the New Democratic Party, and the Green Party as well. They don't really have much say. They only have one or two seats, but... They are the ones pushing this. It's considered progressive, but I don't understand what's progressive about sterilizing children. I I wish sometimes people would just forget about every single thing they they know, forget about everything they've read, forget about whatever theories they cling to. Just look at this child who's 12 years old, perfect, beautiful, innocent, just growing up. And now we're going to stop this child's physical development? this has never been done in the history of the world this is insane there's no clinical studies this is crazy they're not adults they believe in santa claus and they're going on puberty blockers
0: the transition lobby would say well oh, exactly there's been there's been no clinical no clinical trials so how do we know that it's harmful how many how how do we know that it's harmful if people do go on to live forever happy, happily ever after in their new sex?
1: They don't even merit discussing, honestly. That's how I feel about it. Someone who doesn't know what a woman is. They pretend they don't know what a woman is. They're not even worth talking to. (laughs) Maybe that sounds really blunt or rude or something, but come on, like, you know what a woman is, and I'm not going to debate for 10 minutes with you what a woman is. We all know what a woman is. We all came from a woman. We all know. It. So you think and that
0: there are people that they, there are none so blind as those do not see. There are some people that you you speak to or speak to you and you just know they're not going to change their mind.
1: Oh, 100%, all the time. If someone has an open mind, that's a great conversation. If someone already knows about it and they agree, it's usually just a really quick conversation. They support what I'm doing. The people who come in, really hyped up, really aggressive. And I mean, they're really aggressive. They're yelling at me straight away. There's no point talking to them. But what I do with them is I just say something that they agree with. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find one thing that they can agree on and it's easy to do because this then creates cognitive dissonance in their mind. So cognitive dissonance is the existence really of two contrary ideas present in your mind at the same time mm. that that can't coincide because they're opposite. So these people come in thinking I'm a, they really do. They really think I'm this hateful, awful bigot. And I'll say to them, well first of all, I think that we should never put a child in some stereotypical box of how they are supposed to be. We should just let children present however they want to present. If a girl is more masculine, if a boy is more feminine, beautiful. And I'll just stop right there. And they get so confused. (laughs) And then they'll they'll look at my sign and they'll say, but your sign, so why are you here? (laughs) And their, their aggression is temporarily subsided. And honestly, there's nothing else to talk about because they're not at a, in a headspace yet where they will be able to receive much information. But I've planted seeds to get them thinking so that when they go home, they might actually do some more research because a lot of these people have only ever heard one side of the story. They've only ever heard that puberty blockers are fully reversible and they're just a pause button and they just give kids time to think. That sounds fine to them. And it sounds fine, I guess. It's just not true. And in practice, that's not how it works either because these kids always go to the next step, which for girls is testosterone. But if you just put a kid on puberty blockers for three months, or six months, and took them off, sure not really any harm done, not good, but you know, they're still going to go through puberty, but that's not what we're doing. These kids Mm -hmm. are committed at this point. They've signed up for the whole shebang and they're going to do the puberty blockers. And then it's different in Canada. I know in the UK you have to be 16 to start on testosterone, not here. That there's so much to talk about. Our practitioners here won't even follow the guidelines of the world professional association for transgender health they're just making this up as they go along the judge in this appeal the other day in the uk said you know parents need to approve Mm. of these puberty blockers you don't need that here and in fact parents can't even stop it my message to the uk is your biggest fight is to keep this out of school because once it's in schools my goodness do you have a problem but anyway It started in our schools being taught gender identity ideologies was being taught in 2017 because our government, without even talking to anyone, just snuck through a new law in a single afternoon, passed first, second and third reading in our provincial legislature and presto, now gender identity is going to get taught in schools.
0: Are there any politicians in Canada that are taking this on? You you mentioned that it has captured, gender ideology has captured your your mainstream media and your government sort of at all levels. Are there any notable uh, voices that are speaking out?
1: None. Zero.
0: Really? Is that your plan to go and to go and speak to politicians? Have you have you done so already?
1: Yeah. So we did have this bill it's called Bill T6, the conversion therapy bill, which Trudeau was trying to pass. And then he called an election. So the bill died, but they're going to bring it back. They're, Were some conservative MPs who voted against this bill, it split the party actually, but none will speak publicly. There's no one, like I know in Australia, they've got that amazing Senator. I think her name is Claire Chandler. Mm. She's a beauty, my goodness. She's awesome. We need someone like her. We need someone like, you know, many people in the UK who are speaking out, but we don't have any politician anywhere in Canada. We have no significant media speaking up. And in fact, <laughs> man, I love the UK. I would say at least half of the people I run into who do try to do something over here, like talking to their principal or sending letters or whatever. They're from the UK. <laughs> it's it's British women, primarily, actually, some men too, um, who... Don't just tweet about it over here but they go make some noise at the school or or whatever they can do and there's just a different energy that i think you have in britain in canada we're kind of too docile we've never had to fight for anything really i don't Mm -hmm. think we've just you know had a nice we've had a nice time for a long time we're not a protesting country but we're getting there with all the other stuff going on but man it doesn't help i guess when none of the media will report on this because nobody knows what's going on but even when they learn what's going on they don't know what to do so they don't really do anything and i would say the situation
0: was very much like that in the uk not too long ago but people speaking up shows what can be done and i suppose as a sort of sort of my last question if you're sort of running out of time is is what's next for you you know you've traveled all over canada Uh, talking to people is this what you plan on doing for the foreseeable future at what at what point will you stop
1: I don't know I wake up each day and I just try to do something good with my day but for me right now I don't see any end in sight to this for the time being I'm going to keep doing this for quite a while for sure because it's working so as, as long as it's working I'm going to keep doing it because sometimes I've been standing outside for a long time all fall, all winter, all spring, all summer, you know, probably every other day. Just talking to people. And then I get invited on some podcasts. And then now I'm getting invited to speak at some public events. So I spoke to a couple thousand people the other day on the lawn of the British Columbia legislature. That's a lot better than speaking to one person at a time. And I got kind of on, we have this upstart political party called the People's Party of Canada they secured just over 5% of the vote in the election we just had. They had over 800,000 people vote for them. And I think a lot of my work was um, part of getting them to take up a, an official position against all of this. So they have done that now. And so continuing to get their leader educated and their candidates educated is helpful because then they talk about it. You know, My whole theory is, is word of mouth works. That's the whole thing. I know that when I have a conversation with somebody that it doesn't end there. I know that I've educated them a bit and they're going to go home and they're going to have a talk and they'll talk to their friends maybe in a month or two, like who knows, or they'll Mm -hmm. learn more or they'll follow on Twitter. And so in the beginning, no one really knew what puberty blockers were. Now a lot of people know, and it's not just because of my work, it's everyone's work, right? We're all a collective, but Now people are getting a finer understanding, I'm noticing, of what's going on. And I really just believe that this is so wrong that eventually something will stop it. So I'm just out there to create awareness. And when I go to a city and I get seen by 100 or 200,000 people in their cars, and I have a bunch of conversations and I get on the radio or whatever, I mean, it's reaching a lot of people. I've reached millions. And I do have to worry about my safety a little bit. I've been attacked and I've had my arm broken and stuff, but yeah, I'm just going to keep going as long as it's working and keep learning more because what else am I going to do with my day? I kind of answer that question with a question. When am I going to stop? Well, what else am I going to do with my days that's more important than this? I don't think there's very much I can do that I feel this passionately about or that it's more worth of my time. So I'm just going to keep going for now.
0: Well, Chris, it's been really fascinating to have you on the Critics Podcast. I will be watching your adventures in the U.S. It'll be really interesting to hear and see about that. So um, you can follow Chris on your website, billboardchris.com. And on Twitter, you are billboardchris. Be sure to check him out and we'll see your forthcoming adventures down to the, to the States. But it's been a pleasure to speak to you. So thank you for coming on.
1: All right. Thank you so much.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the current offer of five issues for £10 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.